be with you folks today. Appreciate so much you allowing me to be here, Pastor. Uh, I know it's a special day for you guys. You know, there's two times that it's difficult to preach. One is before lunch and one is after lunch. Now, after lunch is because we as Christians on a full stomach like to go off into the land of Nod, as we read about in the scriptures. But uh, when it's before lunch, especially, let me tell you, you're all looking this way. I can see the food from where I'm standing. The great part about that is you know that uh, I won't keep you long. We'll, we'll take a part in that the wonderful meal that everyone has provided today. If you're visiting today, I want to encourage you. I know you didn't come to hear me speak. You came to be a friend uh, to someone that has invited you. And I want you to come back and visit on another occasion. I don't even know who you are. So if you're visiting today, uh, I encourage you to come back. I've known Brother Nathan uh, for many, many years. As a matter of fact, I came to your house in Knoxville, Tennessee, before you guys uh, finished up school and moved up here. And so we've known him for quite a while. And I uh, just thank the Lord for him. The, if you didn't see anything or notice anything about him this morning, is he has a pastor's heart. Uh, there's a lot of preachers that never really connect with their people and develop what I call a pastor's heart. But in a short time, I've been here today, and I've known this about him for some time, but to see him interact with you today, he has a genuine care and compassion for you and your families, and that's a, that's a real trait to have in a pastor, so I appreciate that. Again, for him to yield the time in the pulpit to me today, I'm honored for that, and I thank the Lord for it. I want to speak to you today from the book of Psalms, if you'll make your way to Psalm 74. Psalm 74, I've read through my Bible many times, I don't say that in a bragging way, because honestly, I could have read it through many more times in my lifetime, but... Have you ever had a portion of scripture that you've read before and then suddenly because of a season of life or something that you're going through, it just literally leaps off the page and it's like God put it in there overnight while you were sleeping? Well, this particular verse that we're going to read this morning uh, is one of those verses to me. And it probably is because of my life's uh, experiences, my wife and I having you say, what was she singing? That was Spanish, if you didn't recognize it. Uh, we were in Venezuela, South America for a number of years working. I was a missionary pilot. Uh, we started two churches in the city of Ciudad Bolivar in uh, Venezuela, but we also uh, worked with another family that lived in the jungle, and we flew the airplane out in the jungle and worked with indigenous groups. And so we had to learn Spanish as a primary language. Uh, but in all of that history of our history, uh, really has developed this verse that we're going to read. It's verse number 20. Let me just go ahead and read it for you because I want you to develop a picture in your mind as well. The verse begins by saying, Have respect unto the covenant. But notice the next two phrases. For the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. The dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. Having lived in a country uh, like Venezuela, who is uh, making a turn uh, away from Christianity, more towards socialism, and I believe it ultimately was going to go to communism, uh, and, and it still could. Uh, it's destroyed economically, so I'm not sure what's going to happen in Venezuela now. But living under that type of influence from the government and realizing um, what happens, uh, you begin to see that you see some dark places in the earth. I'm not talking about places where there's a brownout or a blackout. I'm talking about a place where there's an absence of truth. Understanding that the Bible really is a source of all truth. This is God's word. Uh, that's the great thing about Christianity is we have the very words of God, the words that were God-breathed, they were God-ordained, 
and they were preserved for us so that you and I can read it today just as if God had written it for us last night. And uh, so I can with confidence open this book and, uh, and not all of it makes sense to all of us. I mean, there, I'll hear some people like Pastor Payne preach sometimes and I'll go, where did he get that? I do not understand that because that part of my understanding is not there. But there's other parts where God meets me right where I am at and he shows me what he wants me to do for the day. And, and, and again, it changes with seasons of life. But when we were in Venezuela, we went into the jungle the first time, my wife and I. We landed on a remote uh, jungle airstrip in a Cessna 185. I'll never forget it because if you told me we were going to land there, I would have laughed at you. I mean, it was, it was rough. The grass was about this tall. It was right in the middle of the rainforest. You crossed over the river. You dropped in. And when you dropped down below the trees, you realize the airstrip goes just like this. And about halfway up, it levels off and it goes up again. Well, you've got to get that airplane down. You've got to touch that tierra firma, firm ground. Get it stopped before you get to the tree line on the other end. And I remember when I, uh, when I got out of the airplane... Uh, we met the Indians for the first time. The Vernoy family was there. And I met these Indians, and I was intrigued by them. I'm six foot five. The tallest one was about right there. I mean, so I was like, well, this is going to be interesting. Little did I know, all the door frames were made for somebody this size. They weren't made for me. I knocked myself out cold on more than one occasion, not ducking far enough to go through a door frame. But then I met the people, and I'm thinking to myself, these are really nice people. I couldn't communicate with them. They didn't, most of them didn't speak Spanish. But I began to notice different things about their culture and their background. And I realized, really, for the first time in my, in my life, how an entire tribe can grow up without the influence of Scripture and what a difference it makes in their traditions and the way that they do things. You know, as a missionary goes into a place like we did, we don't go to change them and make them into Americans. That would be a, uh, that would be a terrible idea uh, because Americans don't do everything right. I'm glad you said that because some places I could say that and I'd make some people mad. We're not right in everything. We're just... I grew up in Tennessee. I found out by marrying a girl from Michigan. We don't even think the same sometimes. She says comments like, I don't know them from Sikkim. And I'm like, what is that? She goes, I said, what is Sikkim? She says, I have no idea. I said, that's what we said to our dogs. I mean, we, you know, so, I mean, you go through these different things. We were in New Hampshire a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday, and we stayed with a couple that had moved to New Hampshire from Boston. And, uh, man, I mean, it was, everything was loud in the house. When they talked, it was at full volume. They weren't mad. That was just their, the way they are. And so we just joined in, and my throat hurt for three days because we'd been yelling at each other for three days. All in good love. And, and, but the culture is different everywhere you go. But here's the thing I want to bring your attention to. You will go into some places in your life, and, and honestly, you don't have to go to South America, or you don't have to go to, to China, you don't have to go to some of the other places that I've even heard mentioned here today, but you're going to find out there's some very dark places in the world. When we arrived in the jungle... That, that first night, there had been a man, uh, probably in his mid-40s, that had passed away that morning. I didn't know the man, never met the man. He passed away. Well, we went up into the, into the village. We had to ride in a canoe from the airstrip, probably two or three miles on the river. And we went up into the village, and there was just kind of a somber spirit. I mean, everyone there was family. There was about 600 people in the village, but this man had passed away. So it's rather somber and kind of low-keyed.
Well, that night we're sitting in this mud hut uh, with a mud our mud floor and a thatch roof and had oil lamps burning and we're getting to know the Vernois sitting there in their home and I could hear music. I could hear singing. And I said, I recognize the tune. That's a hymn. And I said, we're in the middle of nowhere. We're 200 miles deep into the jungle uh, with a, the Makinitati Indian tribe. I said, how is it they know hymns? He said, well, they only know a few. I said, well, is there church tonight? If they, I mean, if there's church, shouldn't we be there? And he said, no, there's no church tonight. I said, then what's going on? He said, well, in their tradition, the way that they've grown up, they've always heard that when a, a member of the tribe dies, that that evening the death angel comes back and will take someone else with him. And I'm thinking to myself, in my American mentality, I'm thinking, well, that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard of. And yet, I grew up in Tennessee. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian school. I was in church every time the doors were open. The only reason I know that not to be truth is because I have the counsel of the Word of God at my disposal. You know what they were doing? The believers, folks that had trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior in that village, and there were only a handful at the time, they were huddled around a fire in another mud hut with a thatch roof, and they were singing hymns to the top of their lungs, hoping and praying to the God that they had just recently heard about that he would protect them from the death angel that might come and take them during the night. I could go on and spend the rest of the afternoon talking about stories of folks who grow up with an absence of truth and how that they live in a place that's not only darkness, but because of the darkness of the environment that they live in, it becomes a habitation of cruelty. Let's bring it back to the States for a moment. I could draw a circle, a one-mile radius, around Solid Rock Baptist Church this morning, and I guarantee you that there's families who are living in darkness. There are families who do not know the truth of the Word of God. There are families that do not know that you can have hope, that you can understand that God died on the, or sent His Son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Because of our sins, we're separated from God, but God knew that. And he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross of Calvary. I was looking at the cross just a few moments ago here on the wall. And I was thinking about there was a day when the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we're about to celebrate his birth here in just a few weeks, when he was 33 years of age, was nailed upon a cross, not because he deserved to die, but because you and I deserve to die. I don't know about you, but the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, that means everyone in this room has sinned against God. I've sinned against God. Even though I grew up in a Christian home, in a Christian, a Christian school, uh, I'm, I, I might not have done some of the heinous crimes that other people have done, but in my thoughts and in my mind, I had sinned against God. I had put other things before God. And because of my sin, I'm separated from God, or I was separated from God, and I could not spend eternity in heaven because God could not allow me into heaven because of my sin. But when I realized that Jesus died on the cross and he did it for me, September the 11th, 1988, I asked God to forgive me of my sins. And I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. And since that day, you know what? I no longer fear death. You say, well, do you want to die? I'm like, no, I don't want to die. But I know where I'm going when I do die. Uh, we're coming up on the two-year anniversary of my mom passing away with cancer. You know, in the final days of her death, you know what she talked about? She talked about where she was going. She's going to heaven. 
She had lived her life for the Lord. She had trusted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. They refer to it as dying grace. I've never experienced it personally. And I've been around a lot of folks who have taken their last breath. I've held their hands as a pastor in the hospital many, many times. I've held their hands as they've taken their last breath. It's a terrible, terrible place to be as an individual. But when you know that person knows the Lord and you believe the Scripture when the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, to know that their soul has passed into the presence of the Lord, and even though they close their eyes in death here on this earth, they open their eyes in the glory of heaven and the abode of heaven in the presence of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, that gives me hope. But I didn't always have that hope until that day I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. When I look at this verse and I think about those who are dwelling in darkness, I think about the ones that are living in the neighborhoods that are around this church. Several years ago, my wife and I went to a wedding, and it was far away. It was family, and a lot of things that go on at typical weddings on Saturday night. And Sunday morning, we were meeting later as a family, meeting for a brunch. And some of the ones that were coming in for the brunch were going, Hey, did I do anything last night that I need to apologize to somebody about? I was thinking, Lord, you've preserved me from that in my life. But let me tell you, there's folks around here this morning that are waking up wondering what they did last night. Are they going to get in trouble for it? Or do they need to apologize for it? There were kids that grew up in homes last night that they tiptoed around trying not to make a noise because they might disturb someone. There might be an abusive situation. There might be hurtful things that would be said or done in that home. Let me tell you why that's happening. Because they're living in darkness. And darkness really precedes habitations of cruelty. You know, when you watch the news and you think about how could somebody possibly do that? Let me tell you, were it not for the grace of God in our lives and the salvation that we share in the Lord Jesus Christ, it could be our families that are living in those same situations that we read about on the news. It could be our kids that are growing up in that environment. We could be the ones that are behind the bars because we've fulfilled the thoughts and the imaginations of our heart. And we've done the cruel things that this verse is talking about. And you say, well, that's a terrible, terrible thing to think about. We need to be reminded of it because there's a, a world that's out there that is lost and in darkness because they do not know the one who hung on the cross in their place. If it were not for the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us could be in that same situation this morning. So what am I supposed to do about this? I say to you this morning, what am I supposed to do about this? I need to tell them. What do I need to tell them? I need to tell them that God is, is indeed a God of love. Sure, He's a just God. Sure, He's a God that sits upon the throne. He's a sovereign over over the universe we understand that but i want you to understand that god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life that's john three sixteen. we see it all the time we see it on billboards we can quote it we teach it in some classes but we need to understand that god is a god of love and god is a god that has made a way for you and I to experience salvation. He's made a way for you and I to no longer live in darkness, but to live in light. So my responsibility is to teach others that He is a God of love. He is a God that has made a way. He is a God that sent His Son to die on the cross, not because of His sins, 
but to pay for mine. No longer is there a gulf fixed between myself and God because of my sin, but because of my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and Him paying for my sin debt on the cross of Calvary, that gulf has been crossed, and now I have been reconciled to God. You know what the word reconciled means? It means to be brought back into fellowship. I am reconciled to God. Does that make me perfect? No. In God's eyes, yes, because my sins have been, uh, have been forgiven. But I tell you, I'm still going to mess up from time to time. Someone recently said, I don't go to the church because the church is full of hypocrites. I said, well, amen to that. I said, but what a better place for a hypocrite to go than to church. They said, well, I never thought about that. I said, what are they doing? They're all going there to get help. Just because you get saved and you're reconciled to God doesn't mean you're going to live perfectly. It means he gives you the ability to lead you. He leads you and guides you and helps you live a better life, but a fulfilled life. But that relationship that I have with God now being reconciled to him, I did not always enjoy it. It took that day, September the 11th, 1988, when I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, when God pulled me back to himself because my sins had been forgiven. Folks are living in darkness today because they've never been reconciled to God. Folks are living in darkness today because they don't have a proper view of who God is. You know, you Google, you know, Google's a wonderful thing unless it's misinformation that you receive. You know, newsflash, not everything on the internet is true. Some of you just looked at me like you'd never heard that before. But it's true. I mean, as your kids get older and they're picking up their phones, they'll say, no, that's not right, Dad. Google says this. I'd be like, oh, wait just a minute. I've tried it. It'll blow up in your face. Don't do that. Uh, you've got to trust the truth of the word of God. They need to know who God is, and then they need, they need a proper view of eternity. You know, God is in control of things. And God has never been taken by surprise. He knows all things. You say, why does he permit all things? We live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a world that is not just, but it's not always going to be that way. One of these days, the Lord is going to say, that's the end of that. I've got a better plan, and everything is going to be right, and we're going to enjoy it. What do we do in the meantime? We need to be out there penetrating the darkness, dispelling the darkness, telling everyone that God not only is a God of love, but he has a much better plan for you today and for eternity. They need to know about a peaceable view of eternity. They need to know. Let me tell you, I've held the hand of, of, of people who did not know where they were going to spend eternity. And it's a lot different than someone that's trusted in Jesus Christ. There's a panic in their eye. Not a, there's not a twinkle in their eyes. There's a panic because of the unknown, because they, they haven't trusted the truth of the word of God. Let me tell you, to die absent from the presence of God doesn't bring you into the presence of God. It separates you from God for all of eternity. The only way to not be separated from God for all of eternity is to believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. Why is that? Why did he have to die? Because the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Why did my mom die? Because we live in a sin-cursed world. This world was condemned to die because of our sin. Because of my sin, one day this body will die. I'm grateful because the older I get, the more this body hurts. 
I'm going to be given a new body in glory one day. That's going to be a wonderful thing. I was feeling sitting over there this morning. I had arthritis taken out of my knees. I'm 50 years old. What am I doing with arthritis in my knees? Too many years of playing basketball. Well, they cleaned it out two years ago. He said, it'll come back. I was sitting over there this morning. I went, oh, man, it's back. I just felt it. One day, John goes, hi, you're, you are old, preacher. I know. John always loves me and tells me straight. The idea is this body is going to pass away. Why? Because of the sin. But that's not the end of the story. Because of salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll be given a new body and I'll live with him for all of eternity in heaven. What are we to do? I look at it this way. I look at every person that I tell about the Lord Jesus Christ that trusts Christ as their Lord and Savior. I've punched some holes in darkness on that day. Several years ago, I picked up a young man going out of Bay City, Michigan. I was headed north to Pinconning. I was driving an old Dodge church van, which... I don't recommend, man, they'll make you walk with the Lord because you're praying the whole time you're driving that thing, just driving like this to stay in your own lane. And I'm driving up the road and I'm thinking about vinyl siding. The men up in Midland were putting uh, vinyl siding on the church's garage. It was my responsibility to buy it, but I didn't figure the job right and they were going to run out. Well, I was trying to save face. I mean, I just made a beeline out the back of the parking lot and over to get more vinyl siding, get back on scene before they ran out. Just save face, get the job done, everybody wins. I get to Bay City, they didn't have any more of that siding. Now I'm beginning to panic. They said, well, try so-and-so. So I called this place up in Pinconning. I don't remember the name of the place, but it's not like Lowe's and Home Depot. They're up north. I think down here you guys know what that means. Um, they think a little bit different. They had a little had a little office trailer was the main part of the store, and then they had like 40 semi-trailers out in the woods. And each one of them had different things in it. And he said, I think it's out in one of them trailers over there. But I'm pretty sure we have some of it. And I had to go find it. Well, on my way up there, I'm driving. And there was a young man walking up the side of the road. And as I went past him, the Lord said, you're not going to pick him up? Now, I know the Lord probably never does that to you. But I learned a long time ago, when he's that specific, it's time to listen. So I I did a U-turn in that old Dodge van. I pulled up next to him and... Thank God the power window worked on that side. But I, I let the window down and I said, uh, where are you headed? He said, Alpena. And I said, man, I'm not going that far. I said, uh, but I can get you to Pinconning. He said, that'd be great. So he jumps in the van and I noticed when he jumped in the van, he threw a rucksack into the center in between the two seats. And immediately, having grown up at Fort Campbell, I, I said, uh, you in the military? And he said, yeah. I said, uh, I mean, the haircut hadn't even tuned me in yet. And I said, where are you headed? He said, I'm on leave. I deploy next week for Iraq. I said, what's your MOS? In other words, what's your job description in the Army? He said, I'm EOD. EOD is Explosive Ordnance Disposal. They're the guys that go in and clear the path so that others can come in safely. And I'm thinking about that, and I said, that's a dangerous job. I I knew I only had 15, 20 minutes at the most before I got to Pinconning. And I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? And he said, no, go ahead. And I said, uh, with a job like yours and you're deploying next week, headed off to Iraq, I said, have you ever thought about eternity? He said, that's kind of a cold question to ask. You know what I found through the years when a young man's about to go to the battlefield, he's already thinking about eternity. And oftentimes it's for the first time in their life. You're 17, 18 years old. You're not thinking about dying. You're not thinking about eternity. You're thinking about living. But suddenly they're faced with it. So that day when I said, do you think about eternity? He said, yes, and he dropped his head. So I immediately knew that he was concerned. 
I said, would you like for me to show you how to go to heaven today? He said, I would like that a lot. So in driving down the road with the Bible in between us, I showed him how the Jesus died on the cross for his sins and that all he had to do was trust him. You know what that young man did right before we got into Pinconning? He said, I need that. And he bowed his head driving down the road in that church van and trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Now, I want you to think about this. I wasn't where I wanted to be. I wasn't driving what I wanted to be driving. I was supposed to be in Midland hanging vinyl siding with the men of the church. God had orchestrated a series of events. We could go back much farther because God had brought me from Venezuela to Midland, Michigan to be an assistant pastor. So we could go way back. This young man, you know what had happened to him? He got to Bay City, Michigan. A friend of his in the military was driving him home so that he could see his kids before he deployed. They stopped for gas in Bay City, Michigan. And he went to the restroom. When he came out of the restroom, his bag was sitting on the sidewalk and his buddy was gone. He left him. Now, I don't feel sorry for him because God knew all of that so that he'd be walking up the road with a rucksack and I would be driving up the same road at the same time with the truth that he needed in his life so that the darkness could be dispelled and he would no longer have to be concerned about eternity. You know, God is working. God is working in the lives of those that are living in darkness to prepare them for somebody to come punch some holes in the darkness that's around their lives. I go back to that same village now where we visited the first time in 1995 or 96. And you know what? There's a church there. They just added on to the church. It's a village of 600. There were 400 in the church when we left. 600 people, 400 of them are going to church. They just knocked out the end wall and expanded the church because... There's light there. You know what Indians from other villages were saying five years later? They would come in. Why are you here? We just wanted to see what's so different about this place. We hear about it. There's like a light here. You know what that light is? That light is the Lord Jesus Christ. You go into their villages and there's an oppression. There's just a heaviness in the air as they're still living under that shroud of darkness. But when you go to Chahudanya, that place where we were working and others were working there with us, that, that darkness is gone. Why? Because God has stepped in and he's done something and he's knocked holes in the darkness. I say to you, my friend, we need to be prepared no matter where we go to tell people about Jesus. We're not supposed to be condemning them. We're supposed to be shedding light on them. We're not supposed to be talking about them and all the things that they're doing because they're living in darkness. They can't live like a Christian if they're not a Christian. The truth is, There's a lot of Christians that aren't living like Christians that are causing more difficulty for us. The truth is we need to go to them and understand they're in darkness. They're in cruel situations. They've done things in their past. I had a man that came to our church several years ago and he said, I need you to understand something about me. And I said, okay. I mean, he's a little bit older than I am. And this was probably 20 years ago. He he came to me and he said, I took my little baby's life 30 years ago. What do you do with that? I mean, he's looking right at me, but in a, in a drunken stupor, he had taken the life of his baby. He had served time. He got out. He married a fine Christian lady when he got out of prison. And, and if you met him today, you'd never know that that was in his past. You know why all those things happened? Because he was living in darkness. He was living without Christ. 
and we're capable of anything. You say, well, did you let him in your church? Well, absolutely I let him in my church. Actually, he was already in the church. I led him to Christ. That's right, I hadn't forgotten that. I led him to Christ 30 years ago, pretty close to 30 years ago. And it was right after that that he told me that story. Now he has two grown kids. He's been married probably 25 years. He has a couple of grandkids. He's been in church ever since. You know what happened? God punched the holes in the darkness. And he used us to do it. Today, when you leave this place, I want you to understand, God didn't save you just so you can feel good about being a Christian. God saved you because there's people around you that need to know about Him. They need to see Him in you. They need to hear God's voice through you. They need to see an example of what God can do in a person's life if they will yield to Him. And in doing so, you'll punch holes in darkness. Somebody asked me one time what salvation is like, and I tell this story, and I'm going to end with a story. When I was 16 years of age, I had a, a friend. That, there were six kids in his family. He was a year older than me. His name was Chris. He had two younger brothers, Dan and Jamie. Dan was probably 12. I was 16. Chris was 17. But, you know, we, were, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of freedom to do whatever we wanted to do and because uh, we were good kids. And our parents didn't have to worry about us. If they had only known, uh, they would have been a little more worried. But one particular day, we'd been looking at the river. You had to cross the river to go to their house. We decided one day, we're going to swim across the river. It was probably a little over a quarter of a mile across the river, but the river moves at four miles an hour. We were good swimmers, but we started out across the river. Chris was first, I was second, Dan was behind me. Chris made it to the other side first. I made it to the other side, collapsed on the money bank, and you know it was then that we realized, hey, the car's back over there. We've got to go back. But then when we turned around, we looked, and Dan was out in the middle of the river, and Dan was struggling. You know, all those thoughts go through your mind. My mom's going to kill me. Dan's mom's going to kill me. If I survive the two moms, the dads will kill us. But we've got to get back to Dan. So Chris and I jumped right back in the water, and we swam to Dan. We're exhausted when we got to him. Dan could not even swim. He couldn't hold himself up at all. And we were taking turns. One would hold Dan up and swim towards the, the shore where we first started. And then when we'd get tired, we'd swap out. And there was a, a little old man that was down the river. I say old. I was 16, so he was probably 40. But uh, you know how that goes. But he's down the river a pretty good ways in a little little boat and so the one that was holding Dan was swimming towards shore, and the other one was trying to flag for some help. It wasn't long, and I heard the, the little old man stand up in the back of his boat, and he pulled that outboard motor, and I'll never forget the sound of that motor when it started. And he started making his way up the river towards us. When I think about salvation, this is what I think about. That, that little old man in that fishing boat pulled up next to us, and he never said a word. When he pulled up next to us, one by one, he reached down, he took our hand and he pulled us into the safety of the boat. Now he gave us an earful after we got in the boat. But when I think about salvation, I think about God reaching down. He's not reaching down in condemnation. He recognizes we need him. He recognizes we're at a point where we realize we need him. And he simply extends his hand and we say, God, will you save us? He pulls us into the safety of his fold. 
Whenever I think about salvation, I think about that story, that near-death experience that took me 30 years to tell my mother about. But the day that I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, the, the Lord's hand came down to me, and he pulled me into the safety of his fold. And you know why he did it? So that I would no longer live in darkness. Let's bow our heads just for a moment as we close this morning. It may be that you're here this morning, and if I had asked you the question, are you thinking about eternity, you would do just like that young man did when he dropped his head because you're concerned about what happens when you take your final breath here on this earth. You're concerned about whether you'll spend eternity in heaven or not. Well, I'm here today to tell you, my friend, God is reaching down His hand to you, and He's making a way for you to have the same peace and joy that I have in my heart and many others in this room have in their heart today. You say, what is that? You just need to call out to God and say, God, I know I've sinned against you. And I know that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And I believe that. I believe it with all of my heart. And I want you to be my Lord and Savior. My friend, if you're here today and you've never done that before, but in your heart this morning, you say, I want to pray that prayer. I want to trust Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want peace. I don't want to live in darkness anymore. I want to live in truth. I want to live in the light. Here's my hand, preacher. No one's looking around. Everyone's head is bowed. Everyone's eyes closed. Eyes are closed. But you say, Pastor or preacher, this morning, I want that in my life. I don't want to fear death. I don't want to fear eternity. I want to know God. Here's my hand. Would you lift your hand and let me see it? No one's looking around. It's just you and I in the privacy here of our own space. You'd say, Preacher, I want to know God. Here's my hand. Anywhere in the office. Maybe you didn't have the courage to raise your hand, but that's indeed who you are today. Then I encourage you to do this. In your heart right now, say, Lord, I've sinned against you. And Lord, I know that you sent your son to die on the cross. I believe it with all of my heart that he died on the cross to pay for my sins. Lord, I want you to know that I believe that today. And I want you to be my Lord and Savior. This morning, the Bible says that he, whosoever shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead shall be saved. It said, whosoever shall call upon 